So, tell me about the road expansion on on him, and tell me about the the proposal that changed uh, East Cleveland. Well, the proposal to change East Cleveland happened with urban renewal. Tell, tell me about it. Urban renewal, there used to be all kinds of black business on Inman Street. We had grocery stores just like they got uptown. We had dry cleaners. We had bake shops. We had restaurants. We had drug stores. And we had just all kind of becoming economic, economic development going up and down Inman Street from really from Galt Street all the way to E Street. There were businesses on both sides of the road. And it was black businesses. And then Urban Renewal came through, and they claimed that they were going to widen the streets. When you say urban, when you say urban renewal, it was a program called Urban Renewal. It was a was it a city program? It was a where where did it come from? City with the city mostly, but it was federally supported, federal guidelines, and all of that. Okay. But what it did was it destroyed all the black businesses. So they bought them out, most of the people. And very few people were able to go relocate anywhere else at that particular time. I know that's when uh, my grandmother's restaurant, that's, that's when they closed in. So they bought them out for a few thousand dollars. They have to sell? Did it, was it part yeah. of you? They claimed to? that they needed to, yeah, the space, and they're going to come right up to their doors with sidewalks. And, you know, it just destroyed the black community, but they did. They destroyed all the black businesses. And, uh, what did, what did it, what, how old were you when that was happening? How old was I when yeah. that happened? Oh, I was probably in my 20s, maybe. Because I graduated in 60. I was 17 year old when I graduated from high school. How'd your grandmother feel? Well, my grandmother had passed, but my aunt was running the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, my aunt and my mom and my other aunt, I had a couple of aunts that ran it and kept it going until that came along. How did how they feel? Well, they thought at that time all the money that they were giving them was a lot of money, but it wasn't, you know. But what they were doing was scattering the black community, and that's what they eventually did. Can I ask, so you feel, you, do you feel like that was so when you say they were what they were doing was they were scattering the black community yeah do you think on purpose do you think I just think it was. Because, do you think just I think it was I think it was because you know if they really wanted to help the black community they could have came in and give them some financial support and help them develop their businesses and teach them and do the right thing and do it another way they never did widen that street at that particular time, they just wanted to get rid of all the businesses that they had going. Again, this is one of those situations where it's almost impossible to believe what I was hearing. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, and one of the things that I like the most is the idea that I can do business where I want and how I want. And um, I've never felt like there were people just out to ruin my business or destroy my way of life. Um, but here in our own town, there are all sorts of black business owners that felt exactly that way, that their businesses had just been shut down and that their community was scattered. I can't think of any time that um, me or my white friends felt like somebody had 
targeted and scattered us. What do you think? So how do you think that changed? The, you go from all sorts of uh, business mm-hmm. on both sides of the street. Yeah. Um, now, very few businesses on either side of the street. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. still there, but... Um, but integration had already <clears throat> happened. Right. So, you know, people that had the money, they could go and develop a business anywhere if they could afford to buy it and all that kind of thing. But uh, it was... I realized, when I look back on it, I know exactly what happened. You know, to me, it, it was just a move of destruction to the black community and businesses. And that's pretty well what they've done. So, for me, right, as it, so, a lot of this podcast, you know, just speaking honestly, we, you know, mm-hmm. again, not knowing what I don't know. So, I know, I so I know that the world that you describe as a spiteful, hateful world, or a mean world, right? Obviously, uh, full of great people, too. Right, life is life is beautiful and horrible and all those things. But what I mean is, in a sense, it's part of what happened. It's it's the history of this place. But what about how did that change the community? I guess the feeling of the community that still is here to like today too. Right? Like, do you still... So, I guess what I'm trying to say, I don't always say everything that I mean to, right? And I I try. Is... I... Me. Just me. I'd be so mad. Still. Or forever. Or maybe beyond... I, I don't even know how I'd feel if, like, I looked around and I saw everybody that I knew that had a good business being bought out and moved off a street that was supposed to get expanded and it never got expanded, right? Do you think that still exists? Like, do you still, does it still make no. you mad? Do you... No, and then it really wasn't like what you're thinking right now. Actually, the majority of the people here, especially the white community, they wanted change. They wanted integration. When you say change, when you say integration or you say change... That is, the way you're saying it is a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because at that particular time, most, the majority of the white and the blacks, they had good relationships. And the people that were in business, the wealthy people in the community, they really wanted things to change for the better. I actually saw it all change. I saw every bit of a change right here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um... It's just so many changes that I know myself that I've read about and know now exactly what happened. But uh, many, many years ago, things began to change. But then when you talk to the powers that be, they say that timing is not right because they're watching the rest of the world. And we didn't want to be the first one to do it because it was going to be devastating to the first people that integrated schools and the first one that did this, businesses and all that. But we knew that change was coming in spite of everything. This is one of those places that gets a lot more complicated when you dig beneath the surface. 
In a lot of ways, when I was doing these interviews and I was speaking to members of the black community who had lived here the longest, they were actually talking about the fact that sometimes things didn't move very quickly because there were progressive voices in the community. The basic idea was this. We're looking at the rest of the country and we're seeing black people uh, getting their businesses blown up and their children murdered and we don't want to move too fast because we don't want those same things to happen to you. It was really hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but they were really clear that was one way that they felt like the white community was actually showing love to them by being patient, by paying attention and trying to do things in the right way. I think now with years of hindsight, the real question would be, okay, but what have we done since then? I actually worked for a great company, but the company, when I worked and went there, they were segregated all the way through. Water fountain, restrooms and everything. Talked to the president of the company mm -hmm. through what I call, I was on the industry and labor committee. I was just a young fellow, but I was on the industry and labor committee. And we went and talked about needing better jobs, time to promote blacks, time to do away with all this segregated things that we have. And actually, I didn't realize it, but the white community here was watching the rest of the world. And after the bombing in Alabama that killed the four little girls, the plant manager, the owner of the company that I worked for, called everybody together and told me going to do away with separate water fountains, separate restrooms. Won't be no white, black, color, all this. It's just going to be one. And he put it in motion and said anybody didn't like it, they could just go on out the door. How'd you feel about that? I was great. I felt great about it. And, of course, I had a lot of respect for the man anyway, but that was Skeet Reimer that owned Magic Shell. Again, this is part of that complexity. The vice mayor was saying his boss wanted change, but as they looked around them, there was just so much death and destruction and division in America that change was frightening. It's hard sometimes when you want change, but you don't know really how to get there. And I think that's kind of where we're at in America today. A lot of us want to have these conversations. We want to figure these things out, but maybe we're just too afraid of the repercussions. And I, I just think we can't let the fear of repercussions stop us from doing what's right. Yeah, he made that statement, and then things began to move, things began to change, and that's when I realized and started reading and researching to see how the rest of the community felt, you know. So there was a lot of changes, but it was already behind the scene, but we just didn't talk about it. A lot of people wanted change, but we just didn't talk about it. People, you know. Tell, I, me, tell me about your reunion that you... You host the uh, you host the reunion yeah, every host, yeah. College Hill reunion. Yeah, we host the College Hill reunion as the alumni association, and we just get in touch with people that actually went to school here at College Hill, graduated from College Hill, and went on to do phenomenal things, great things, you know. And um, we just picked out about eight people, and we started a couple of years ago. I I had. Uh, really had to, to see to do all that and get it started that way. After they named me as president, I was the first one to start recognizing some of these people that are out in the world that's doing great things. So can I ask a question about like the, the neighborhood just in general? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about change. You're talking about 
there was segregation and then we're doing away with segregation. You're talking about we're looking at the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like Cleveland is integrated at this point? Or do you feel like it's segregated? No, it's integrated. Yeah, it's integrated. It's integrated, but there's still a lot of. You make a funny face when I say well, that. No, see, because you know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm wondering is yeah. right because I'm trying to get. So yeah. I can't. I'm I'm a 42 year old white man. Yeah, but the glass ceilings are still there. I'll just put it that way. You know, they're still there. There's still things going on that a lot of people don't see. They don't talk about it, but it's still you go just so far. And that's what do you not talk about? They what is it, really that, you, what is it that you don't normally get to talk about or that you normally wouldn't talk about? You know, why are you promoting this person over somebody else that's really qualified, that's really worked hard, prepared themselves, been to school, been to college, went to the same schools that you went to, had the same teachers, you know, worked hard, mm-hmm. made better grades and all these kind of things. But when they come out and they go looking for a job, you see them both of them on the same path, nine times out of ten, it's going to be... The other fellow, the white, that gets the job and not the black. You know, so it's integrated, but it's not equal. Well, not equal, no. You, you hope you, it would be. It's better. It's better. Everybody knows it's better. But still, every now and then, you can see, you know, the segregation and all that still exists. Yeah. Integrated, but not equal. That one is kind of hard to digest. I guess he's right. We have black people in our schools. We have black people in our businesses. Black people can shop where they want. Black people can eat where they want. Technically, black people can live where they want. But are we really equal? In a town that has only 6% black people... It's kind of a hard question to even begin to answer. There's so many levels that you would have to peel back to even get to an answer. And that's tough. That's really hard. Because I think we all want equality. And that starts with integration. But moving beyond that integration to the actual equality we want is sometimes a lot harder. Do you feel like... um Do you feel like um, if you had a son or a nephew, or do you have sons? Do you have nephews? I got sons. How old is? Oh, they grown. Yeah, but grow, grown how old? Um, one of them is uh, fifty-two, and the other one is forty-eight, I believe. So right. do you? Th- do they live here still? Have mm-hmm. they moved away? Uh, you know, that's the other thing. Most black people move away from Cleveland. Tell me about that. Well, back then, even though we were integrated, there still was not that good of opportunity. The doors weren't completely always open. So most black kids, when they go to school, go to college, finish college, they go somewhere else. My kids lived in Atlanta for I don't know how long. I've got one kid that come back here just a couple years ago, a few years ago. We were talking earlier, Tony and I and Olympia were talking earlier about this Facebook post I made. Yeah. Last week, I think, or maybe the week before, and somebody had somebody had posted on there that you know here in this town, the ratio of whites to blacks 
is smaller, you yeah. know, than the national average. So six percent mm-hmm. is what I'm, the, the guy who posted it isn't much of a liar. So he doesn't normally, and he doesn't like drama. So I think he probably what he says is probably true, right? Yeah. So six percent. Do you feel like um, another forty something year old black man has the same opportunity in Cleveland that I have? It's a lot better, okay, but I don't think so. Yeah. But it is a lot, lot better. It really is. Here I am, a 40-year-old white man with every opportunity. You know, we talk a lot about white privilege. Some people want to pretend it doesn't exist. I know that at the beginning, when I first heard that term, I didn't know how to process the term or if I thought it was real, I certainly didn't feel privileged growing up. But when I look around me at the opportunities I have now, the one thing I could say is I think I have every opportunity. And the real question is, does a black man of my same age have the same? Are you enjoying listening to College Hill? We sure hope so. And if you are, we'd love you to know that this was made possible through the generous donations of the United Way of the Okoye Region. The United Way does so many things in the community. From helping people with poverty to education, the United Way is focused on every community that they're in, and that is especially true of the United Way of the Okoye Region. Once again, here's College Hill. So tell me about the way you feel about Cleveland in general. I think it's a great place. It's really one of the best places I've ever lived. But yeah, it's got the same issues. You still got a lot of backdoor stuff going on. What do you mean by backdoor stuff? Well, you know, when I got my job at Whirlpool years ago, I went for an interview. But I went and got my interview because I went to a man that was a supervisor. He was a white fellow. He wasn't even the personnel director, but he wanted me to work for him at Magic Shell. But I went for my interview on Sunday, and it was at his house. And so the saying is true. It depends on who you know. A lot of times, what do you get in to the good jobs and things like that. But now it's not like that. Now then unemployment is so low here in Cleveland. People just looking for warm bodies and they don't really know what they're getting. Kids are not near as prepared now as we were, I don't think. I don't think they are because there's all kind of opportunities out there right now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, back then it was who you knew. My uncle knew the boss and we went to his house on Sunday afternoon. He interviewed me on a Sunday. Sure. Come back and told the personnel man to hire me on Monday. And then he still had some struggles before they hired me. Because that was in 1960. You know. But it's just who you know sometimes. Well, so College Hill, right? It's more like College Hill is more than a school. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Always have been. Yep. And we're trying to tell that story, not just its history, but mm-hmm. what it is now, what it's becoming. Do you... Well, back then, I think the teachers knew 
that change was going to come in spite of all the mess and all the stuff that was going on. And they just taught us that way. Be ready because it's going to change. One day it's going to change. You know, and very much like Dr. Martin Luther King's speech, you know, they were saying, I may not get there with you, but I know it's going to change. You need to be ready. And so we studied hard. We worked hard. And then they taught us more than just what the book said. They taught us how to think on our feet, how to make decisions. And that's that's where you're saying there's maybe difference now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that there was a level of education. Maybe you can go to school now in College Hill. You don't necessarily think that the kids are being prepared to kind of live in the... the well, you don't have the same... You really don't have the same challenges kids nowadays. Yeah. Kids nowadays just are distracted by a lot of other stuff in town, in life, that waste, you know, drugs, alcohol, everything. Just, and then a lot of them can't stand for somebody to tell them no. And so they rebel and they just resist and then they don't try. They don't seem like they have, because their opportunities are everywhere. If they really want a job, they can get a job, but they're going to have to be clean, you know, drug-free and all that kind of stuff. So the system has really messed a lot of kids up. What do you want for College Hill? What is it that you—what do we want for this neighborhood? What do you want? Well, what I want for College Hill is for people to recognize that's the reason why we do the— College Hill Alumni Banquet every year and I recognize people. We've got people that come through the worst of times, the worst of conditions, and yet they went on to excel in tremendous things. we got a guy, one fellow we honored just this last year at Banquet. He spent 14 years at the Pentagon. You know, mm-hmm. he went into the military. He was a real sharp guy, but he's one of those people that was driven just like I was, taught like I was, one of the things, so one of the things that I, I've been wondering about is a lot of College Hill, like, yeah, we can drive down Inman Street, we can, like, drive mm-hmm. down this way, but, like, a lot of it is, it's almost like this part of town, you were talking about there were these thriving businesses, there were these, so reasons for everybody to be here, yeah. right? One of the things is that, like, a lot of where College Hill is or what College Hill is now is that the rest of this city doesn't even have to drive through it, mm-hmm. right? Everything else, like you use the words uptown, everything can be uptown. We don't have to be here, right? We don't have, we don't drive through it, so you don't even necessarily know that it exists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how that has felt for you as a city councilman. Well... I hate to see us lose the talent that we've got here in our own community, mm-hmm. but we still are losing a lot of good people. You know, I've sit on the school board for several years, and a lot of time when they hiring teachers, they would they would come in, they would have mostly white teachers and maybe one black. Man, then they finally got to where they were just no blacks. And finally, I asked the question when I was on the school board, why are you're not hiring black teachers. And they told me, they said, well, because they're not applying, we can't find them. I said, no, listen, at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee, there's a young lady up there by the name of Dr. Jane Redmond. She lived here and went to school here at College Hill. She was over student minority affairs for the University of Tennessee. 
as many black teachers as you want. I can give you her number. You call that girl, and she will find you teachers in any subject matter you want, and they're black. The reason why you don't have no application is because they know you're not going to hire them. Black people are far ahead of the game, especially when it comes what to the How are we going to change that? Well, what are we going to do? I mean, like, need, I'm asking as a white guy. I'm yes. asking as a guy that wants to really know. I, yeah. You know, I'm, like, sitting here thinking, so if you're afraid to apply because you know that you're not going to get hired, so then you don't apply, so then the person says we don't have any applicants. This is funny. Well, it's yeah. not that funny. Let me say, what I'm about to tell you wasn't funny. It was actually yeah. terrifying to me, but it's funny because Tony's cool. Yeah. But, like, I did a video for the city of Cleveland that had to be so uh, I did a video for the city of Cleveland where we were like filming all the stuff about about Cleveland and I was proud of the video I felt good I work hard I try and mm-hmm. we put the video up and like the first comment was why are there no black people in this video yeah and I was like oh. and I and I thought like oh my goodness because I'm, of course we said we put it out like we always do to the community hey, we want people in this video. But then it wasn't just about like, okay, there's black people in the video. It's also like, well, what is black life in Cleveland as opposed to, right? And not to say that we need to be like, this is black life or this is white life. But, you know, so Tony agreed to be in this video. She's like hiking up on the Koi mountain, you know? And I was like, thank you so much for being in this video. And she was so sweet about it. And then later was like, you know, that's, like, not what black people would do is, like, go up in the woods by themselves, like, hiking. And so then I was like, oh, no, I'm doing this all wrong. And I feel like, how do we stop a cycle? How do we stop a cycle, right, of I say I want people in a video. Black people don't respond because they're like, they're not going to put me in their video. Right. And then I'm like, well, no black people. And then somebody goes, well, there's no black people in your video. And I go, well, no black people came to be in my video. Right. And so I turned to the one black person I knew at the time. Now I know four people well mm-hmm. you know I know you kind of well okay right mm-hmm. and so I know the three women in this room and Jermaine Purefoy so mm-hmm. I have four black friends in Cleveland mm-hmm. and so you know you, you see what I'm saying so with the teachers with the teachers that you're talking about what are we gonna do well you know I don't know I'm frustrated yeah. I'm frustrated I don't know how to yeah well I know what the problem is yeah I want to problem hear. is that they did not do diversity training when they put people in charge when you've got people in charge that are not black, not Hispanic, somebody needs to train them how to communicate in a diverse community. In our community, we've got over 60-something different cultures in our community, thanks to Lee University and nationality. What are we doing with it? It don't matter. We're still thinking one way. We need to capitalize on all this diversity that we've got in this community. There is not near enough diversity training going on in the city of Cleveland so we can get to know one another because we don't know one another because we don't interact. We don't go to the same places, you know. And so if you train people to understand each other, then you're not going to be afraid to venture out and to get people that don't look like you and give them an opportunity. The people that's in charge, they all are just one way oriented. They do not have enough diversity training. And that's what the problem is. They don't know. They had no idea that I was the kind of person I was. You know. And I mean, you just, you know that. I mean, people that know that does well. But you got to know that. So they think they got a place for you. They think you got a place that you ought to know what you'll play. 
I don't have no stops on my place. I mean, I feel like I'm as good as anybody else. If you can learn it, I can learn it. And I know good and well my kids can learn it because they go to school with your kids. You know, it's just yeah. diversity. Now they got the same teachers. they in the same environment. Right. But then we still need to take it one level further, and that is be sure we teach people what they've just come through. We do not have enough diversity training mm-hmm. all over here. I even had to tell the city that we need diversity training okay. you know, with department heads. Proper leadership and diversity training came up over and over again in my interviews with people from College Hill, and I think here's why. There's definitely a cycle here in this town, and I think probably in a lot of towns, where the youngest, brightest minds in the black community leave town to go to college and then never come back to the jobs that are here. And the reason is because they don't think they have a future here. And It's not just that diversity training needs to be, um, hey, you know, diversity is important and racism is bad or anything like that. I think it actually starts before that. I mean, when I think about uh, white culture and some of the ways that young men and women head where they're going to go in their future, it starts very young. It actually starts with someone saying, hey, when you graduate from college, there's a job for you here. I think maybe diversity training has to go a lot deeper than just being open to hiring black people or Hispanics or any other minority in the workplace. And it needs to get cultural into our communities where we look at kids and we say, you've got a real future here. So I have one last question Mm -hmm. that I didn't know I was going to ask till just now. It's not on my sheet. They they typed these up for me. And I try to follow the script, but sincerely, what's the hardest thing I need to hear? What do you need to tell me that maybe you would not normally say? What's the thing I need to hear the most as a 42-year-old white man making a podcast about the black part of town? You know... uh the biggest thing is in leadership. The one of the biggest problem is when you get, it's just like it goes from the president all the way down. You get leadership in control and they don't understand diversity. You really are impacting a lot of people. Each leader always impacts people. And if they've got the wrong understanding their own knowledge, the wrong way of communicating with people, and if they're not diverse with their thinking, if they're not considerate, don't have compassion, you know, they can be destructive and cause a lot of harm that it takes years to overcome and get up under all these mistakes that they're making. We still are trying to come up under some of the mistakes that people in leadership position had the wrong attitude, not enough diversity training, no compassion whatsoever. It's just a business. It's more than that. Our world is filled with problems. Our communities are filled with problems. If you don't have good leadership ability and want to serve, then you don't need to be in those positions. But we've got to have the guts to clean it up. Step forward and tell them, you know, I appreciate you, but you're just not doing the job. Mm-hmm. Get good leadership. Get people that's been trained, you know, properly and get them in the right position. Okay.
Thank you. All right. Thank I you. appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Didn't mean to come across so hard, but you know, I've been, been, nearly, I've been down hey, a lot of roads. It's not down. hard, uh, you know. It's, it's, a lot of roads. It's not hard. Yeah. It's a you know what do we need people to? If I'm a, if I'm hearing this as a business owner and a middle class white guy, as you say in America, and then other middle class white guys are going to hear it. Mm-hmm. What are they gonna? What do they need to know? What do they need to hear? Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, we don't always know. No, you we know, don't. we don't. But it's all about fixing problems. Yeah, we're trying to fix what was done wrong, and uh, until we come together, we ain't gonna never fix it. You yeah. know, one people, one certain people, black people can't fix all the black problems. White cannot fix all the white problems. Somehow, or another, we gotta come together because we the one messed it up. Sure. You know, we got to learn to come together and not be afraid of each other. It's one thing about people. If you really want me to like somebody, and I like a lot of guys, most of my friends are really white, really. But I like people that are not afraid, you know, to admit when they're wrong. I like people that are not afraid to talk. When I see a young person that stands up and talks, boy, it's just... It gives me joy. It don't make any difference whether they're white or black, but I just like people that knows how to stand up and talk and express themselves. You know, it's important that yeah. we have people like that. And you go to, we got young people coming on now, and I tell them all the time in my church, these people are going to be great one of these days. I see them right now, but they are really on the right path. They're just young. They're just 10, 12 year old, mm-hmm. but I can see it in them because I saw it in myself. You know. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Next week, we're going to speak to Helen Miller, who was the first black principal in Bradley County and the principal of College Hill when it was burned down. She has a lot to say, and uh, I think you're going to find it as interesting as I do. So until then, I'm Rob Alderman from Be the Bridge and the United Way of the Okoye Region. This is College Hill.